Well, you came back, and I'm glad you did. I shared with you this morning that tonight I was going to preach to you what I thought would be the best sermon you have ever heard or will ever hear, and I am. Uh, That wasn't just a ploy to get you back on a Sunday night when the Thunder are playing in the first game of the playoffs, right? I I wasn't, I mean this with sincerity. Um, It will become obvious to you a little more fully what I mean by that in just a moment. I invite you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. Whoever says you fool will be liable to hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge the guard and you will be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. 
You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is a footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses... 
your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where neither thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, it will be judged, you will be judged. The measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? 
If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish, whatever the, you wish others would do to you, do all this also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven... On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, may you take these words. And may you use them to penetrate our hearts, to mold and shape us, that we would be a people formed by your truth and your word. God, would you take that truth and drive it into the dark recesses, the the very corners of our heart. Help us to understand that nothing is hidden from you in your sight. And Lord, work in us so that in all things, through everything that we do, through everything that we say, through our thoughts, through our motives, that we might glorify you, that we might testify to your word of truth as living examples so that we would shine like light in the darkness, so that like salt, we would bring a purifying, preserving quality into this world. Protect our hearts, lest we be self-righteous, lest we be self-centered, lest we be self-deceiving to think that we are above reproach. Guard our steps 
and lead us in your path, your narrow way. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I promised it was the best sermon you would ever hear. I'll never beat it. I'll never top it. Uh, But I want to ask. I want to give me some feedback. What were some of your impressions? Once you obviously figured out, I was sharing with you the Sermon on the Mount. This was one of Jesus' sermons, right? Jesus preached this. Of course, it's a great message. It was truly divine, right? Give me some of your, what were some of the things that maybe impressed you as you heard this word shared? It's a good question. So Valerie's question is, did he do it over a day or uh, one day or, or a series of... Here's what I think. First of all, let me, let me just answer the question at face value. We don't know. Here's what I think. I think that, uh, I think that Jesus delivered this message all at once in one setting at one point in time. But I also think that largely the content of this message was a part of a sermon that Jesus would use and, and, and in all likelihood preached numerous times because you find different points of this teaching in, in all of the gospels, not necessarily in this one setting. So for instance, in the, in the book of Luke, there's what is often referred to as the sermon on the plain because this is delivered on the mount and there's a sermon very similar to this that Luke talks about being delivered Uh, in a different place, and so it's referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. And I think that points to, I think that's evidence of the fact that Jesus had this sermon, this message, this word that he delivered in a variety of places and in in all likelihood a variety of different uh, instances. But I do think that it was delivered as a message, as, 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 uh, as a sermon in that setting. The very fact that the disciples remembered it and were able to, uh, write it down and deliver it, as is the case, I think, with, with actually with many of Jesus' messages, is proof that, in all likelihood, Jesus delivered a lot of these messages in multiple occasions. So, for example, Matthew arranges his gospel primarily around five different sermons that Jesus delivers. There are the five discourses in the Gospel of Matthew, five different sermons. And a a lot of the events and the things that happen in Matthew are arranged around those five sermons. Well, I think that those sermons actually happened in the times and the places where Matthew said they did, but I also think that a lot of the material in those sermons in all likelihood is something that Jesus preached on numerous occasions. Uh, in many different places. And as Matthew put it all together, he's basically saying, remember that time that Jesus was on the mount and he delivered this, right? That sort of thing. So. So Robin is saying, I wonder if Christ got his sermon spontaneously. Uh, I think, I mean, yes, this is the, the word made flesh, right? I mean, the word was literally alive, John tells us. Uh, of course, John is speaking in John chapter 1 where he says that the word became flesh. He's speaking of a concept called logos. In the Greek language, the word for word is logos. And that was more than just, more than just the, the use of that 
in the vernacular as being word, there was a philosophical concept of that day that was known as the logos. It was the embodiment of truth. And so in telling us that Jesus is the word made flesh, I think, John, there's a double meaning. For the one, you could say he is. Everything that the Old Testament foretold of and pointed to, Jesus is. He's the living embodiment of all of that. He's the incarnation. But he also is the literal embodiment of truth. He's the logos, the word made flesh. As such, uh, yes, this, the, the truth, he knew the truth perfectly because he was the very author of divine truth. Uh, so, like, is the question, did Jesus have to, like, prepare the way I prepare for a sermon? Um, we, you know, I mean, he certainly prepared his heart. We have evidence of that even in the Gospel of Mark. He would get alone. He would pray. I don't think Jesus had to write his sermons the way I do because he was, he was the very embodiment of everything I aim to preach about. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, he picked his moments well. He definitely knew when and where to. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, that's right. It's good. Geneva's saying that there's a scripture that tells us that Jesus himself said, the things I see the Father do, I do. The things I hear the Father say, I say. So clearly the gospels give witness to the fact that Jesus spent time with the Lord. And I think that time with the Lord was communing with the father, preparing his heart for the work that he was to do. So don't hear me say that Jesus was always just extemporaneous, but on the flip side, whereas I study the scriptures, I don't think Jesus had to do that. He knew the scriptures. He was the living embodiment of the very truth contained in the scriptures. Right? So uh, he was always ready to go. Always had a sermon cooked up and ready. But I do think also for the sake of his, his disciples, his hearers, just, just the sake of consistency and because there was a very intentional purpose to his message that, that he would teach this truth often. They were an oral culture and have a printing press. They had scribes. They had people who would you know, transcribe the Old Testament scriptures and those things. But they were an oral culture. And so the way that, that things were passed on was orally. Well, in an oral culture, they're storytellers. They, they repeat things over and over and over. They perfect the art of oral transmission of truth. And, of course, it was in the midst of that that Jesus delivered these messages. Any other impressions that you had as you listened to this? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Definitely one of the driving polemics of Jesus' message. A polemic is an argument, right? One of the driving undertones of, of any message that he would have delivered is love. Because again, as John writes in 1 John chapter 4, he is love. Beloved, let us love one another. For anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so that was at the very heart of what he preached. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think might be some things like 
I'll ask the questions. Thank you. Uh, no, that's a, that's a great point. So Doug said, I'll repeat it in case you didn't hear. He, he said that one of my impressions is that Jesus is, uh, he is addressing many of the things that maybe we would say is, were, were distortions of the, the heart of the, the scripture and the Old Testament message, right? Jesus said numerous times, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, right? So he's addressing those things. And so the question was, what are some of the things that, uh, Jesus might do the same with in our day. Uh, let me offer one, and then let me ask you, what would you say? Let me turn it back and do a, a good Socratic thing and, and answer your question with a question, right? Uh, let, one example of something that I think if Jesus were here today is he would say that you have, you focus so much on you focus so much on knowing all the right things. You focus so much on your knowledge, and yet how you live often is so divorced from what you say, what you claim to know. And so in, this, in, this, in the same uh, vein of the, you have heard it said, but I say to you, uh, I think Jesus would say, you have heard all of these things, but I would say to you, do them, live them. What about you? What do you think? Any, any other thoughts? What, what do you think Jesus might address in our day if he were saying to us, you have heard it say, but I say to you. Yeah, so... Yes, yes. It's a great point. Bruss is saying that a lot of people today want to just focus on the love without the balance of his righteousness, right? So people want to say, hey, God is love. Jesus is love. It's, it's okay. Do what you want. I mean, the Lord loves you anyway, right? He's a love. And, and he's true. He is love. But he is just and righteous as well. And, uh, and yes, that's good. Someone else. Geneva's saying, again, I'm repeating just because I've got the microphone, she didn't, uh, that he would be disappointed with a lot of what he sees in our world today. I mean, look at, look at some of the great problems that, uh, that plague our culture, uh, things like abortion, divorce, uh, sexual immorality, and on and on. And that so many of these things, even in the church, our attitudes have shifted away from the heart of what the scripture teach, and, and that he would... He would be uh, brokenhearted over that. Anyone else? 
Maybe, maybe in reaction to this same question or, or maybe just another general impression that you have. Right, okay. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Dennis is saying it's just as relevant today as it was when Jesus preached it, right? That man hasn't changed much. Uh, Michelle. Yeah, okay, good. You've heard it said, be tolerant of others, but you're not tolerant of my prophets and my teachers, and you, don't, you won't tolerate the truth. Yeah. Someone else want to share? It could be, again, response to this, or, or I'll just open it back up to maybe just a general impression of the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. I'll take one or two more things and then kind of put a final spin on it all. Yes. Yes, you must have a firm foundation. Deandre. Yes. Yeah, it's good. Deandre says that it, it's in many ways like a blueprint for life. The things that, that worry us, the things that are going on in our lives, he, he, here it is. Jesus has laid it out. He, he's addressed it. It's true. Um, here's a couple thoughts that I have. First of all, were you, did it strike you at all how relatively brief it was? And yet think about all that was in it, that he could lay it all out there. When I started reading, the clock said, 617, and when I finished, it says 647 now, 648, right after I said that. When I finished, it said 636. So it took me just under 20 minutes. And I intentionally read it slower. Anytime you say it out loud, you read something aloud, it, you know, it takes longer than it would to read. So here's one of the things, one of the things that I would encourage you with. You can cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time if you will just get in the Word. One of the excuses that we often have, I don't have time. Think about, you could spend the rest of your life just dissecting this one message and trying to genuinely put it into practice in your life, right? And I'll confess, I don't think any of us would ever get there this side of heaven. There's so much here, and yet, it took us less than 20 minutes. So we need to, I think, be reminded that the study of God's word is vital. And the excuses that we give for things like, I don't have time, they just fall apart in reality. You have time for what matters. So make time. Make time. Another impression that I have in relation to this is that there is this, this uh, I think, this guiding ethic throughout the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. That the reality of the things of God are opposed to the things of this world. Now that seems 
fairly self-evident. That's a, a relatively plain and obvious statement. But think about it this way. So much of the time we are concerned with fitting in rather than standing out. So much of the time we want to go with the grain, not against the grain. And clearly the truths of God will cause us to swim upstream in this world. They will cause us to stand out, to use Paul's words from 1 Corinthians. The Lord has chosen what is foolish in the eyes of men in order to display the wisdom of God. And so when we read these things and we think, wow, if I really did this, if I really put this into practice, like there's a lot of this that just, Frankly, it would not be popular today. Well, honestly, there's a lot of this that really wasn't all that popular then. That's why they killed him, right? Is because they didn't like his message. But it ought to be a reminder to us that the truth of God is, it, it, it goes against the wisdom of this world. And, the, and then uh, maybe my third and final impression that I would give is when we look at this and we, and, and, and we dissect this and we, and we break this down and begin to think on this and meditate on this, the truth is we can't do this, right? The truth is when you look at this and you really think about what Jesus is teaching here, like it's one thing to say you shouldn't be anxious, but honestly, you're going to be anxious about something this week. We can't do this. And again, that's the point. On your own, you'll never be able to do this. It will only come through the power of God, through the work of his Holy Spirit in your heart. And even at that, let's be honest, it's hard. It's two steps forward and one step back at times. The point is, it's a reminder to us. The truth of God, the hard teachings, the, the word that he, it's a reminder to us. That apart from the work of Christ, we're in trouble. <laughs> All right? I mean, I don't know a clearer way to say it. Apart from the work of Jesus, we are hopeless. But because of Jesus, because of his resurrection power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you, Paul says. Now by the work of the Holy Spirit, we can do this. And I don't mean to say that we can attain sinless perfection. You know that's, that's not true. But I mean, seriously, all of these things that seem impossible to us on our own, in our own strength, in our own power, it is. But through the power of God, His Holy Spirit can be done. Or else Jesus wouldn't have told us to do it, Right? And so when we look at this, let's not think too highly of ourselves. But let's also not to think too little of the power of God that has been given to us through his Holy Spirit to enable us to do the will of God. And so I hope that this will be a great challenge to you this week. Go back, reread it, think on it dissect it, meditate it. I have a goal that the next time I do this, I'm going to do it from memory. 
I'm not going to say that's going to be like next week or anything, but it's a goal of mine to be able to stand and do this from memory completely. Because, and what a powerful demonstration of the, the, the work of Jesus, the ministry, the preaching, the teaching of Jesus. And man, what, a, what an incredible message to take to heart. The very truths of God. May it challenge us. May it bless us. May it empower us to live a Christ-like life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths contained in it. More than that, we thank you for your very heart, that you would reveal that word to us, that we might know you, so that by faith in you, through receiving your, your Holy Spirit, we can live the life that you've called us to. Jesus, we praise you, and we want to do all that we can to honor and glorify you. In your name we pray. Love you guys. Thanks for being here tonight.